Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, everybody got your cross? Hold on to it. I've been doing this for 50 years, and I have still not made a successful cross. I grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church, and man, we're all about these crosses and things. And uh, so if you made it, I would just, I would suggest this. Perhaps you've stumbled upon a lucrative business. You could sell your crosses out in the foyer, the atrium, or the foyer, depending on how fancy it is. Um, put this somewhere, like Robin said, where you could see it. How many of you know that the cross is enough? The cross is strong enough to not just guide you, to not just give you life, but to also remind you that it's not all about you and what you bring to the table. How many of you know that we bring our little piece to the table, but God brings the rest, right? Um, it's how we operate as, as believers, and it's how we operate as a church. Jesus said this. He said he would build his church, and the gates of hell would not be able to stand against it. And there's something beautiful that happens when the church rises, when the church stands and is the church, there's nothing more beautiful on the planet. There's just nothing greater than that. Uh, yesterday, Trinity Community Church, you had the opportunity to rise and to be the church. In case you missed it, take a look at this. Golly. We loved our community extravagantly. Thank you for that. I don't know. Oh, golly. Michael, look what you started. Dang it. <laughs> I have no idea the seeds that we planted yesterday. I just know that we loved well. And Trinity, I'm very proud to be your pastor. Thank you for, uh, for stepping up and being the church. The church is the hope of the world. We are Jesus' hands. We're his feet. And even in a world that's filled with chaos, we do not back down. We don't sit down. We rise. And we become the church. So thank you for that. Give yourself a hand. This is why we exist. This is why we suck air. Um, I'm proud of you. Um, don't let this be just an event thing. Let this become part of your life. Loving people extravagantly is what Jesus did, and because Jesus did it, we do it too. Amen? Amen. Let me gather. Let me, is my mascara running? <laughs> I don't wear mascara. Don't worry. Um, so this is a very powerful few weeks here. For us as a church, it speaks a lot to who we are and what we do and why we do it. And it also speaks to, uh, to the world. You can take the gospel in a nutshell and wrap it around these next two weeks. Jesus coming to earth, doing what he did, dying for us, rising again so that we could bring life. He brought life to us and we, we give life to others. We, we, we're part of this thing called the ministry of reconciliation. We help to reconcile people back to God. And uh, all of that happens as you and I walk out what it means to be people of the way. This entire month, we were talking about what it means to live that out. Last week, we talked about you know, what it means to be called. What's the way of calling? What does a believer, a fully devoted follower of Christ, look like? 
Today we take a little bit different turn and we partner with the steps of Jesus. We talk about something that for us as believers we, we kind of shy away from. We talk about the way of suffering. I remember years ago um, I was sitting around a table in, in one of our, our small group's homes and there was probably about maybe 40 of us in this small group. And we were sitting around the table, I'm in my early 30s, and one of the guys in the group had talked about, as a young man, he would go and he would hike in the Smoky Mountains. It was the most beautiful place he'd ever been to. We're in Illinois. And I remember Pete saying, hey, you know what? We, I used to, to hike in the Smokies and it was beautiful. And I remember telling Pete, saying, Pete, well, why don't we do a trip to the Smokies? We're in our 30s. I mean, we're like basically bulletproof. We can do anything in our 30s. How many of you remember your 30s? How many of you would love to go back to your 30s? For those of you that think you're old at like 28 to 32, you ain't seen nothing yet. Old is coming like a train right down the track. It is. So from that home group, we, we made this little, this little pact, this little group of, of guys, and we planned our first trip to the Smokies. We were going to do backpack camping. How many of you have ever been backpack camping? I'm not talking about trunk camping. I'm not talking about RV camping where you have direct TV, a dish on top of your camper. I'm talking about real camping. We didn't know what we were doing, so I remember going on eBay, and you know, the goal for me was in camping, since we're going to be mobile, to take as much stuff with you as possible. So I went on eBay, and I found the biggest, cheapest backpack I could find. And it was, it was, it was almost a 6,000 cubic inch backpack with no support for like $20. And I thought, this will be great. I could put all kinds of stuff in here. So then my goal was to fill this backpack with as much stuff as possible. All the other guys did the same thing because we didn't know what we were doing. Being Greek, 90% of my backpack was filled with food. Amen. You know, I'd rather, I want to, if a Sasquatch wants to take me out, that's fine. A bear can eat me, that's fine. One thing Greeks will not do, we will not starve to death. We just won't. So I remember we got all of our stuff together. This is me and a couple of the guys a few years ago. And uh, we started up into the Smokies. We had all of our stuff on our back. And I realized immediately that perhaps I had uh, approached this whole hiking trip the wrong way. We were hiking the first day. I think we were set to do about four miles. About a mile into this hike, with this elevation, with my pack weighing about 65 pounds, that's heavy, <laughs> he knows, that's 65 pounds, I realized immediately, Houston, we have a problem. We got to do this for four days. As we continued to walk, um, I thought, well, you know, the, the, the closer we get up there, the, the, the lighter my pack will be because the goal now is to eat as much food as possible, not because I'm hungry, but to relieve, you know, to get rid of weight, as much weight as possible. I remember day three, my buddy Bill Dean, he's the guy in the cowboy hat up there. He was struggling. He was suffering. He was suffering so bad he couldn't carry his pack. So we split his pack among the rest of us. Um, as we were heading toward the top of the mountain, I kept asking, I was very concerned with Bill because Bill was having chest pains and all kind of weird stuff. And I said, Bill, I said, I said, how are you feeling? He goes, not good. He says, I think I'm starting to hallucinate. I said, what do you mean, Bill? He goes, I think I see Jesus. I said, well, that's great. He goes, he's surrounded by a big light. And one of the guys next to me goes, Bill, don't go to the light. Don't go to the light yet. And I said, I said, well, that's kind of mean. Why can't Bill go to the light? He goes, oh, Bill can go to the light. He goes, I'm tired of carrying his stuff. You come back here, you carry your own stuff, and you get out of here. So we got to the top of, of, we're to the last day. We got to the top of this thing, and we came across two very seasoned hikers. They'd been hiking for a long time. And they saw us, this ragtag group of people that obviously had no idea what they were doing. 
And they stopped us, and they looked at all of our stuff, and they're like, you guys brought all this stuff? We, we backpacked an eight-man tent. The tent alone, we would, it was like the tent of meeting. You know what they're talking about like in the Bible, the tent of meeting? And he looked at us and he laughed. And he said, guys, we had metal plates. He's like, are you guys insane? He goes, he goes you guys are going to die. I can't believe you did all this. And he went, he sat with us and I asked him, so what did we do wrong? And that list of what we did wrong was like a, was like a 38 minute presentation. If he could have done a PowerPoint, look at exhibit B. And he went through everything. And at the end I went, oh, the only thing that I got right was my, my boots were good. I got new boots that I'd broken in. It's the only thing I did right. And I remember we finally came off the mountain and we had talked to each other and we said, this was great. We lived. We will never do this again. So how many of you know that we're forgetful people? So the agony that we experienced about a month later turned into victory and something that we had conquered, and, you know, and it was great, and we planned our next trip, but something, something changed in me. After meeting these guys in the, in the wilderness, in the wild, and after the experience that I had, I understood something. I knew now why people would pay $20 for a titanium spork that weighed you know, a quarter of an ounce. I knew now why the backpack that I spent for $20, you know, you could spend $200 on a backpack because it weighs, it's, it weighs it's the weight of a, of a thimble of a feather. You know what I'm talking about? I sold all my stuff on eBay. That's the beauty of eBay. And bought better stuff and had a much better experience. After I had experienced this thing first and after people showed me that there was a better way. Showing people that there's a better way when it comes to our faith is kind of like what we do. We show people the way. Do you know that it's not just something that we came up with, it's something that God commanded us to do. Matthew 28, 19 says this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're not called to have people say prayers. We're not called to just have people check off a membership list. We're called to share our faith and to make disciples. We're called to show people what it means to live as part of the way. So what does it mean to, to, to be a disciple? What does it mean to make a disciple? I mean, hey, it's one of our three things. If you got one of our bands, by the way, if you don't have a band to remind you of what we're about, grab one after the service. They're all free. You know, what are we about? Loving God and people how? And then we're what? Committed to growing in our faith and helping people to grow in theirs. You know what that is? Making disciples. We're a disciple ourselves and we help to make disciples. So the goal for us as believers, Trinity, is not just to walk the path for ourselves, but to help people figure out the way, to show them the way. So last week, we started everything off with uh, looking at the characteristics that we need to embody to be people of the way. Today, we look into another aspect of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. As somebody that is part of the way, a person of the way, you and I, at some point in your life, will experience suffering. You will. Now, everybody on our planet suffers. Why? Because our world is broken. We live in a fallen and a broken world. Romans 5.12 tells us this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everybody has sinned. Because of sin, all of us experience suffering and we experience pain. But for believers... There's another layer, another level of suffering. Do you know that? There is. Why do we as believers suffer more than other people? Well, because 
of our association with Jesus. Because we're followers of Jesus and the world hated Jesus, that means this, the world is also going to hate you. John 15, 18 says this, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus that you usually don't see on Christian greeting cards. The world hates me, it hates you. Happy birthday. Right? You don't see that. Hallmark, if they could corner the market on that, woo, right? Suffering was a part of the road of Christ, and because it was part of his road, it's part of your road. As we follow him, suffering will also be part of our lives, just the way that it is. Suffering for us is not a mark that you're out of God's will. Suffering for us a lot of times means you're exactly where God wants you to be. Isn't that weird? But it's true. Matthew 16, 24 puts it this way. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We're all called to take up our crosses and to follow him. So as people of the way, the question isn't like if we're going to suffer. The question is this, will you suffer well? You can suffer poorly or you can suffer well. As a mature follower of Christ, the goal for us is to suffer well. As believers, we don't suffer in vain. There's purpose in our suffering. So what does God do through our suffering? If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to, be, going to look at verse 6 to verse 12. If you have our app, if you click on our app, you download it, you get all my notes. If you're on the U version of the Bible, if you look for live events, look for Trinity Community Church, you get all my notes. 1 Peter 5, 6 is this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the lion, or the devil, prowls around like a, lion, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that at the same kind of, of, of sufferings that, you're, that are experienced by your brothers throughout the world. Verse 10, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Let me read those again. After you've all suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what do we glean from this passage that helps us to understand what God wants to do through our suffering and will help us to suffer well? The first thing is this. When you suffer well with God, he brings restoration. He restores you. You hit those first four things. So how does God allowing you and I to suffer help to make us whole? When we experience suffering, it causes us to focus on what's important in our lives. How many of you know that sometimes you take the everyday, ordinary things in your life for granted until they're gone? How many of you have a car? How many of you, when you wake up in the morning, most of you, you just go where you need to go, and you don't even think about if your car is going to work or not? Now, if you don't make any money, you know, sometimes you turn that, 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 that you start that key and it's like wheel of fortune. You don't know if it's going to start or not, right? 
But for most of us, getting to where you need to go is even, it's not even an issue because you have a car. If you don't have a car, how many of you know that your life turns into something that's a little bit more inconvenienced? Right? It's just the way that it is. When you suffer sometimes, it brings you back to what's important in your life. I remember a few years ago, I was at our church in Denver, and I was there on a, on a snowy day. I was by myself, and we had a cafe downstairs, and I had my, I, I don't know why, I, had, I, I was in bare feet, I don't know why. I think my, my shoes were wet. And uh, I decided to run downstairs real quick and to get a coffee out of the cafe. And I ran downstairs in bare feet, and nobody had told me that that Sunday that somebody broke a glass. And, you know, I think, you know, somebody, we cleaned up all the glass. How many of you know that you can find every sliver of glass if you just run around in your feet, your, your bare feet? So I go down there, and I, and I, and I go to get my, my latte, and I step on a piece of glass right on the ball of my foot. It was small. I could barely see it, but I could feel it. And immediately it messed with me. I mean, you got that thing there, and you see, ah, what do I do? And I'm hopping around on one leg, you know, which is not a good sign anyway. And then I, I, I sit down on one of the chairs, and I attempt to manipulate my foot in a way that I can see this piece of glass and do surgery on my right foot. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I have not seen the bottom of my feet in some time. And if you laugh at me, do me a favor. Let's do a little exercise when you get home. Have one of your kids write a number on the bottom of your foot, and you just see if you can tell them what that number is, right? So I remember being down there. It's on the ball of my foot, and I'm digging, and I can't find this thing. And I thought, well, it's no big deal. It'll eventually go away. It didn't go away. I couldn't do anything. You can barely blink without having to walk to where you need to go. Finally, after two days, it got so bad, I, I asked my wife, I said, I need help. This is actually my office. These are two ladies in the church. They're doing surgery on my foot, trying to find this little glass shard. Now, I don't know why, but as Robin would dig, it hurt really bad. And she says, well, you know, I have to get in real deep to make sure I get all of this. I could have swore I heard that piece of glass fall on the desk, but she swore there was more in there. She's digging and digging and digging. And the crazy thing was this. After a while, they got it out, and I was able to walk normally again. I was able to function normally. But while that piece of glass was in me, I wasn't able to do anything. It was hard to move. Because it was on the ball of my right foot, I could barely even hit the pedals in the car without having pain. You know what suffering does for us sometimes? Suffering will cause us to change. And suffering sometimes will help us to reevaluate what's important. I couldn't live my life normally until we got rid of that piece of glass. It made me remember how important my feet are. Now I can tell you this, if there's even a hint that there might be something broken, these tootsies have slippers on, I got something on just to be careful. When you suffer, it brings you back to the essentials. Suffering in the hands of God can purify us, can reprioritize us. And when you have that process of purification, with it comes this beautiful thing called restoration. God brings you back to where you were supposed to be. Suffering in the life of a believer can bring restoration, can bring a restored life. If you suffer well, if you suffer and moan and groan and complain, then you'll lose what God wants to do through the suffering. How many of you know that God can use anything in your life to make you better, to bring you closer to his heart? This is what Psalm 71.20 says. You've allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you'll restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You'll restore me 
to even greater honor and comfort me once again. That's what God does. James Augie said this, God, mens, God brings men into deep waters not to drown them, but to cleanse them. Some of you are in the deep waters, beloved. Why are you there? God wants to cleanse you. Yield to the process. Be cleansed. The first thing he does, he restores us. The second thing he does for us is he confirms us. Suffering helps to confirm us. What does it mean to be confirmed? If you look at the definition, it means this, to affirm that you are moving in the right direction, to be turned. You're going the right way. When you bring confirmation to something, that's an attaboy. That's a yes, you're getting it done, you're doing it right. So if restoration has to do with you and I being whole in God, if suffering helps us to be whole in God, then confirmation has to do with us being in the proper direction where God wants us to go. Through suffering, God can shift our path. He can move you from the wrong road and put you on the right road. All through suffering. Have you ever noticed this about God and the names of God? You don't fully understand who God is in a certain way to you unless you experience that thing. You know, there's the names of God. Jehovah Jireh, he's our provider. How many of you know that you understand Jehovah Jireh, who he is as he provides for you when you're in need? You can't fully understand him as your provider until you're in lack, until you're in need. You know, one of the names of God is Jehovah Rapha. God is my healer. How many of you know that you truly can't experience Jehovah Rapha until you're sick? Every time you experience God in a different facet through suffering, you experience him in a different way, a more complete way. It's not just this general thing. That's what we're talking about here. So through suffering, God can shift your path. He can take you from the wrong direction and put you on the right direction. Because how many of you know that we stray? Has anybody in this room ever strayed? All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. So how do we stray? Well, let's just be real. Sometimes we jump off the path willingly, right? Sometimes God tells us things we don't want to hear, and what do we do? I ain't got time for that. I know you want me to do this, Lord, but I'm going to do this over here, right? Sometimes we just get mixed up. Sometimes we just veer. Why do we get mixed up? Because we have choices, beautiful choices. Have you ever been overwhelmed by choices in your life? Have you ever just not known what to do? Sometimes we do that with our faith. I had this crazy thing happen to me last Sunday night. I've been, um, I've been watching what I've been eating, not as I eat it, but I've been careful to not eat everything that's placed in front of me. So Sunday night, we had, a, uh, we did, we had prayer furnace Sunday night. And a bunch of people were like, hey, we're going to Friendly's. Let's go to Friendly's and get something to eat. Now, I have not eaten crazy stuff in about a month. You know, and, and even though, I'm just going to be real with you. I've not achieved this yet. Maybe there's a spiritual discipline I just don't have yet. You know, people tell me, well, I don't, you know, I don't even crave ice cream anymore. I don't even crave pizza anymore. Let me just tell you something. I haven't eaten ice cream in like in a long time. And I think about it every day, all day, all the time. Maybe that makes me an addict. I don't know. So we go to Friendly's, and they got ice cream. How many of you ever been to Friendly's? They got ice cream and all kind of stuff. So basically, if you were sitting next to me in Friendly's, anything within arm's length to me was fair game. Doesn't matter whose plate it's on. Doesn't matter who bought it. If I could get my hands on that, anything on that plate, I claimed it as mine. Lo, it is mine. 
But the most overwhelming thing of the night was this. I am an ice cream fan. I've not had ice cream in such a long time. So they give you the dessert menu. Have you ever seen the dessert menu at Friendly's? It looks like one of those old road atlases. And you just keep pulling pages out, tops, and it's beautiful. And there's about 350,000 Sundays on there. And now I, I know that this is the only ice cream I'm going to have for a long time. And I see all these choices. And I was frozen, almost unable to make a decision because I was overwhelmed with ice cream. Not all the good stuff, but I was afraid I was going to pick something bad. And then blow my ice cream coin on something that was terrible. And I changed my mind about 15 times. I'm going to get the banana split. No. What if the bananas aren't good? I'm going to get the hot fudge. Tonight. No. And by the time the person actually, you know, you know, we got to make a decision here, man. I made a decision and I held my breath and they brought me my Sunday without the bananas. They forgot my bananas. It was, dare I say, bananas. And I sucked that thing down. But the decision process was agonizing because I didn't want to make a mistake. You know what suffering does for us sometimes? Suffering in God's mercy helps to, to narrow our path and take off some of the decisions off the table. Because sometimes we get overwhelmed with all those things. Suffering sometimes can be God saying, son, daughter, I need you to go this way. Because you can't go any other way. I remember when we got to our church in Wisconsin, my dad was with us. We were his primary caregiver, and he was starting to decline. Now, you know, I have a motor, which means I like to do a lot. And, um, and I realized something when I got there. My ability to do all the things that I want um, was going to be changed because I had to care for my father. So I remember coming into the church and said, guys, I love you. And, and when you get to Harris's, you get all the Harris's. Hopefully you know that by now. I said, but I'm going to tell you right now, I, I don't know. There's going to be days that um, I'm going to have to shift things because my dad is, is sick and, uh, and he's going to need me. And you know what it did for me? It actually it put a governor on my motor, what I could do. His suffering took a bunch of things off the table that normally would, would distract me. I'd run after this and I'd do all these things and I, I just couldn't do all that stuff anymore. I'd want to go, well, yeah, we could, I could spend another two hours in the office at night. And, no, you need to go home, and Dad needs a bath tonight. You need to go home, Dad needs supper. And through that condition, things that weren't as important just started to get lopped off. Suffering. Suffering helps us to narrow the beam. It shows us what's important. Isaiah 30, 20 says this. Although the Lord gives you bread, the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you'll see them. Verse 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear the voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way. That's what suffering does. This is the way, right? So suffering in the life of a believer will do two things. Brings restoration in your life. Brings confirmation in your life's direction. Then the third thing that it does is this. It strengthens you. It makes you stronger. Have you ever heard the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Well, that's true in most cases. I can tell you this right now. If you see a Sasquatch in the woods, he will kill you. Run away. The Bible frames it this way. Romans 5, 3 through 4 says this. We also celebrate in seasons of suffering because we know that when we suffer, we develop endurance. 
which shapes our characters. And when our characters are refined, we learn what it means to hope and anticipate God's goodness. When you suffer, it enables this thing called perseverance. When you suffer, you feel resistance. This thing comes against you in your life. You have to endure something. And do you know that resistance makes you stronger? When you push against stuff, it makes you stronger. It's just like when you work out. How many of you go to the gym? When I say the gym, I'm not talking about a pizza place that's owned by Jim. I'm talking about the gym. Right? Have you ever worked out? When you work out, when you run, you swim, when you lift weights, do you know what you're doing? You're adding strength in mass. Do you know how that process works? It's all about resistance. If you lift weights, it's all about resistance. If you swim further, it's all about resistance. If you run, it's all about resistance. In fact, this is the actual process that happens when you, when you work out. Lifting weights traumatizes the muscle cells, triggering your body to repair them. Satellite cells outside the muscles are triggered by the trauma and they rush to help. They fuse together to existing muscle fibers to increase the size and the strength of existing muscles. So you ready for this? When you go work out, you know what you're doing? You're causing your muscles trauma. From the trauma comes strength and your muscles get bigger. From the trauma. Suffering introduces trauma into our lives. Now, when you experience suffering in your life as a believer, two things happen to us. First, suffering causes us to have a deeper faith. It makes you stronger by making sure that your roots grow deeper. When you suffer well, you move your faith from a surface-level faith that is affected by every way the wind's blowing to a deeper faith in Him. You become resilient to the environment that's around you. You're not affected by the things that used to affect you before. You're anchored deep in God. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says this. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Again, we're people of the way. Verse 7. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you'll overflow with thankfulness. When suffering happens to us, our roots go deeper. We become stronger. Unfa we just, we're just, God, God just, he anchors us to him. Beloved, if there's any time as a church we needed to be anchored to him and not to our environment, it's now. Amen. It's now. The second thing it does is this. When you suffer, it brings you closer to Christ. And the closer you are to Jesus, the stronger you become. There's something about suffering that attracts the master, that attracts Jesus. Isn't it funny sometimes that when we suffer, the first conclusion that we come to is that, God, you're far from me, or God, somehow I missed you. And the Bible teaches us the exact opposite. The Bible tells us that when we suffer, God's closer to us than we could ever be. Psalm 34, 18 says this, when someone is hurting or brokenhearted, the eternal moves in close and revives him in his pain. He doesn't run from you. He runs to you in your suffering. When I experience times of suffering, I pray this prayer now. I don't pray anymore, Lord, where are you? I pray, Lord, reveal yourself to me so I can see exactly where you are in the middle of my situation. He's there. He hasn't left you. He's there. Now, some of you are here and you're suffering today. 
and you've lost sight of the God that sees you, hears you, and stands with you. I want to encourage you this morning, beloved. He's here. Shut your eyes for a second. I sensed this even as we came in this morning. Some of you are just hanging by a thread today. God wants to remind you this morning that he is here. And you are not alone. In fact, I really feel in my heart some of you have even contemplated suicide. God is here today to tell you that he hears you. He sees the tears that nobody else sees. He sees the cry of your heart. And he stands with you. You are not alone. So right now, allow the Holy Spirit to just love you. To show you where he is in the midst of your situation. You can open your eyes. When we get done today, we're going to have an opportunity to pray for each other. If you're here and you're carrying a heavy load like that, you come up to the front let us pray with you. I remember um, years ago, my mother, um, man, was the strongest woman I'd ever met. Uh, she had battled cancer for about eight years. And I was going to visit her. I got the call three times, or four times actually, that my mom was going to die. Get on a plane. You got to get here now. And every time I got there, my mom was fine. I said, Mom, you got to decide what you're going to do. <laughs> Either stay or you go. Should I stay or should I go? I mean, you just got to do something. I remember I was home one time after she was, was home, and she always wanted to get to church. She couldn't get to church. She was in a wheelchair. So uh, I took her to church one day before I was flying back to Denver. And uh, that was the morning that um, the pastor, her pastor, had announced that his wife was battling cancer. So she listened to the service, and we all listened. And we got done with the service. My mom goes, I got to get up there. I said, okay, mom. So I go back to the wheelchair. I thought, why are you going to come up there and, and pray? So I push her up there. She goes, I need to talk to Renee. I need to talk to Renee. That's the pastor's wife. I said, mom, what, you, you want Renee to pray for you? She goes, no, no, no. I need to talk to her. So I asked Renee if she'd come and pray with my mother. So Renee comes, gets oil. She's ready to pray for my mother. She goes, no, sweetheart. She goes, I'm not here for you to pray for me. I'm here to pray for you. And Renee, I remember she looked at my mom. She goes, well, I don't understand what's going on. She goes, you have cancer. She goes, nobody understands facing and the fears of cancer unless somebody's walked that road. She says, I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to get through this thing. And she prayed for it. And I'm thinking, man, this is ridiculous. Strength from the suffering. God healed Renee from cancer. Healed her. And then he took my mother about a year later. You never know what God's going to do through your suffering. You never know what he's going to open up for you. When you suffer well as a believer, God brings restoration to your life through suffering. He brings confirmation in your life. He sets your direction fast and he points you in it. He strengthens you. Suffering builds your spiritual muscles and it makes you stronger. And the last thing he does through suffering is this. He establishes you. What does it mean to be established? It means to be planted and to be built. God will use suffering to establish you. He'll use suffering to plant you, to make you strong, to set your feet like flint. I mean, just to stand firm 
if you let him, if you suffer well. We see this clearly in the life of David. Oh, David, what a great guy. By the way, anytime you think Christians are supposed to be perfect, do you realize that most of the people that we read about in scriptures were, were anything but perfect? You do not have to be perfect to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. You just have to be you. You have to accept God for who he is. And we need to be people that are repentant. You're going to blow it until the day you die. So you see in the life of David how God, again, uses suffering to establish somebody. God takes this shepherd boy, this nothing, and decides to make this nothing the king of Israel. He had no qualifications. He had no schooling. He had nothing that would make you think he would be a good king. But how many of you know that God looks at the heart? He doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the heart. So David, the shepherd boy, you know, this thing is spoken to all the land of Israel. Samuel, who's the prophet, who's going to anoint the next king, goes to, you know, Jesse's house, and he tells Jesse this, get all your boys together. One of your boys is going to be the next king of Israel. So Jesse calls all of his boys together except one, David. He leaves David out in the field. Why? Because it's not going to be David. How many of you have got daddy issues? Even when the prophet says, get everybody, oh, you know, the dad doesn't think enough, even to call you in from the field. So eventually David comes to the party, and he has this encounter with Samuel. Samuel anoints him with oil and makes him king, anoints him to be the next king of Israel. But there's only one little problem with this plan. There's already an existing king in Israel. Now, how many of you know something about kings is kings can do whatever they want anytime. So he anoints David. Word gets out that David's anointed. And Samuel, you know, kind of goes off. And then you have Saul, who's the existing king. Things get a little awkward at that point for David. Now you would think this, you know, God comes and he anoints you. And you would think that the next step for David would be just go to the throne because now you're the king, right? You know how long it was from the time David was anointed to the day that he sat on the throne to be the king of Israel? 15 years. 15 years. How many of you lose your mind because you, know, you think that God hasn't you know, been part of your life or anything like that because maybe it's taken two weeks for God to do something for you? Man, even two days, I've been praying like, like crazy, Lord, you know, for the last six hours and God ain't speaking anything to me. God sometimes has to um, simmer things in your heart. So for 15 years, you know, David has to wait to become king. And it wasn't just the time of waiting that was the issue for David. It was during that time the things that he had to endure for the 15 years. In those 15 years, David was scorned, he was ridiculed, he was lied about, he was kicked out, he was hunted like an animal, he lost everything, he was hurting, he was confused, he was crushed. Why did God allow David to suffer so much? So that he could prepare David to carry out his purpose. His purpose had so much weight, God had to crush him so that he'd be able to be the person that he needed him to be. God sometimes will use your suffering to prepare you to be the vessel that he called you to be. He doesn't suffer you to have you suffer to punish you. 
Even in the times when you misstep, all those things, aren't pro- they're not punishment. They're preparation for something different if you suffer well. Even David came to understand this, that God used his suffering to prepare him for his purpose. He said this in Psalm 119.65, and this is beautiful, through 72. This is, this is uh, David reflecting on, on what God did for him. He says, you've done many good things for me, Lord just as you've promised. I believe in your commands. Now teach me good judgment and knowledge. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. You're good and you do only good. Teach me your decrees. Arrogant people smear me with lies, but in truth I obey your commandments with all my heart. Verse 70. Their hearts are dull and stupid, but I delight in your instructions. Now look at verse 71 and 72. Listen to this. My suffering was good for me. For it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Your instructions are more valuable to me than the millions in gold and silver. Your suffering was good for me. David was able to see God's hand in his suffering. And he was able to suffer well. It was from this understanding that God established David. Established him. Called him a man after his own heart. And from that establishment... For David came generational blessing, not just for the house of Israel, but also for us. For out of David's line came the Messiah, Jesus. Out of that line, David suffered. God crushed him. Now, did he he end up being perfect? Absolutely not. Because let me let you know, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, none of us do. None of us do. Even the cleanest ones that you see, none of us do. From that suffering, God established David. Because of that, you and I are are blessed. It's generational blessing. Suffering is part of the life of every believer. Again, here's the question. Will you suffer well? Bow your heads with me. You may be here this morning and you may be suffering. You may be here and you may be carrying a heavy load. This is what I feel like we need to do this morning. You need to take a few minutes, allow the Spirit to hem you in, and ask God, say, Lord, show me the purpose of the suffering. Give me what I need to endure. Give me what I need to keep walking. Give me what I need to learn from the suffering. Speak that to the Spirit and listen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.